This episode is brought to you by Cold Storage Coins, the easiest way to own Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. G'day soldiers of the Altcoin Army, welcome to another episode of the Altcoin Buzz Podcast with your hosts Alicia, Matt and James. We're not going to be covering the news today as we've got a very special interview coming up, so I'm going to handball it over to Matt because he personally knows him. Matt, take it away. Thank you, James. So our next guest is an old friend of mine. Usman Shohan is the president and founder of the International Association of Hyperpolyglots and is fluent in seven Indo-European languages, English, Spanish, French, Portuguese, Hindi, Urdu, Punjabi. He has a global tri-sector leadership experience that involves the public sector, the World Bank, the private sector, the National Bank of Canada, and academia, the University of New South Wales, Australia. His global orientation has led him to call 10 different countries on five continents home. At the World Bank, he focused on legislative budget reform, and he has been cited in landmark debates such as the Canada's parliamentary bill C-476 in 2013. At the National Bank of Canada, he was the special situations analyst in the global equities team with five other investment professionals who together managed $3 billion U.S. At UNSW Australia, he has been on a full scholarship, creating the world's first multidisciplinary synthesis of independent legislative fiscal institutions, IFIs. He is a global advisory board member of Economists Without Borders. In his own words, he's currently working on cryptocurrencies, the One Belt, One Road, budget reform, independent fiscal institutions, legislative budget offices, and public value theory. Usman applies his academic chops to the study of cryptocurrencies and has studied them extensively. Usman's publications have been downloaded and cited thousands of times. Some of his works on the subject of crypto include Cryptocurrencies, a brief thematic review, initial coin offerings, risks, regulation, and accountability, a history of Bitcoin, the double spending problem in cryptocurrencies, assessing the differences in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency legality across national jurisdictions, the leisures of blockchains, exploratory analysis, Bitcoins and bank runs, analysis of market imperfections, and investor hysterics, and... A history of Dogecoin. Jesus Christ, it's one hell of a resume. Well, without further ado, we better get this guest on before you run out of breath. G'day, Usman. How are you doing, sir? Wonderful. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, no, we uh, we, we like having some uh, fellow Aussies here. So, uh, welcome to the Altcoin Buzz podcast. We've got a... Hopefully, we'll learn a lot from you in this uh, this episode tonight. So, uh, obviously, we'll start off with some simple questions. Tell us about yourself. How did you get involved in the crypto space? My interest in crypto space actually emerged from something totally different. I was working on budget reform in Australia, and I was trying to work on how we can fix the architecture of our financial systems. And then... Lo and behold, cryptocurrencies becomes a big thing. And I realized that people were a little bit shy to speak about it, a little bit shy to understand it even. And so I entered the space, did my own research, wrote my own papers, and found that people drew on my research to answer their questions. And so I found mm-hmm. that this is one of those new innovative spaces where we need people to work hard, study hard, and then speak articulately about it. And so that's my relationship to cryptocurrencies. Fantastic. Well, you definitely speak art- articulately, but uh, I've actually been incredibly rude. I forgot to uh, introduce you to the lovely Leisha over here. Obviously, you know Matthew, the Mad Dog Matthew, but uh, I'd like to introduce you to Leisha. Thank you. Hi, <laughs> Hello. 
Hello, Usman. And, and, you know, I have to say that it feels like, almost like an old Australian show, uh, this podcast, because we mostly have Australians on the show. I don't know. Nobody but them. It's good. Yeah, it's fun. Going, yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, no doubt about that. So my question to you, Usman, would be, Regarding your academic papers, so we have checked some of your scholarly papers, and I must admit you have quite a few on, uh, of them, and on blockchain and cryptocurrencies included. So, they, you have like seventy-seven uh, scholarly pages, on, uh, sorry, scholarly papers on your page, and uh, like lots of downloads, and that's great. And I wanted to ask you, so that I see that you have been quite successful with some of your top achievements uh, being featured as an impact success story in the, in the Conversations 2016 Annual Stakeholders Report, as well as being in the top 100 most read academics and top 10 economists from your alma mater, which is uh, the, the University of New South Wales. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, to name a few. And in recent years, you've written quite a few articles, as I mentioned. And what is your ultimate... and end goal pertaining to blockchain technology going forward? The end goal yeah, is like a mystery to me. Ah. <laughs> it's a mystery to me what the end goal with this would be because it's just plain, pure inquiry for me. Mm. So what I have learned personally doing a PhD and doing this inquiry into cryptocurrencies is that it's an abyss out there, it's, it's a void of knowledge and we're just trying to fill it brick by brick and we don't know how far and how deep it goes so the end game is illusory to me too but the fact that we go on this journey you and me we all as we investigate this and devise and build on it is that the journey itself is more valuable than any end goal i don't prescribe to an end goal myself that is true i mean like uh, i agree with you and it's nice to hear you being so honest because lots of scientists and their papers they tend to i don't know have some kind of conclusions draw some kind of conclusions which are so grandiose but Mm. i like yeah i like the fact that you are being like honest that we are trying to you know break by break a break by break approach i think that is great (laughs) instead of because like like lots of scientists out there and i know myself because i I studied as well in a university i did a master's degree and they like tend to oh. say that, uh, tend to say that. Uh, oh my God! Like you know, my paper established everything, or I know, oh. I know, uh, yeah, or my, uh, or I know the goal very well right now. But uh-huh. yeah, like I like your approach. It's it's good to hear that there's some sound people out there who don't just <laughs> <laughs> who don't just make like these grandiose claims. Thank you. Yeah. You know, we've only just had you on the uh, the podcast for a couple of minutes, but. Uh, Tell you what, you said at the beginning that you needed, you, you know, you like to go out there and be articulate. I like your responses. They're short, sweet, to the point, exactly like the articles that you write, mate. So, <laughs> so it's, oh. it's, it's good. Uh, it's good for that. You know, I feel kind of, uh, out of place a little bit with you guys. You got Leisha there with a master's degree. You there, mate, with your PhD. Maddie's been university. And here I am sitting down, not one degree behind. <laughs> Not one degree behind me. I hit the workforce straight out of school. God, I wish I went back and studied like you guys, so I feel like I could fit in a little bit more. 
James, it's okay. There's no need for that. <laughs> but there's, there's always room for one dumbass in the group, and I'm happy to take that responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> if I could interject, it's that this in this field, the cryptocurrencies in particular, we don't know the identity of Satoshi Nakamoto, and we don't know how educated or uneducated he was, or mm. is, or they are, or they were. So the, the fact is that education is a form of accumulating capital, but the capital that we have accumulated trying to signal to each other how, quote, smart we are doesn't apply in cryptocurrencies because the developments that have happened in this space are not related to your traditional forms of capital uh, accumulation through education. It had nothing to do with that. So the fact that you may or may not have a degree should and will not influence uh, a dialogue on cryptocurrencies ever. I feel I feel so much more confident after that. I, I appreciate that. You know, Leisha and Matt's never said such nice things to me before. You fucking <laughs> dropping the ball there, guys. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Maybe we need to yes. get this bloke on more more than you guys. Okay. I'm sorry. I feel guilty here, but right. I'll try to flatter you more. I love you, Leisha. Uh-huh. <laughs> But uh, Usman, you and you and Maddie are uh, are definitely good mates. So we're gonna. Maddie's been sitting there quietly contemplating, judging us all in his little corner. So so we're gonna we're gonna handball in this one and uh, pass it over to him. You notice what a diplomat he is. Eh? He's got that in the family, so he's learned how to how to give those tactful responses and to uh, to make it to make you feel better strategically. It's all manipulation, James. Don't fall for it. <laughs> you see right through me, Matt. You see right through me. <laughs> he's got my back. He... <laughs> yeah. So. Uh... Oh, look, full disclosure for the listeners out there, uh, Usman and I studied uh, together. We met in the MBA program here uh, in Canada in 2000. Well, we started, what, in 2012, I suppose. Um, and then we both spent the same semester abroad studying in China. Usman studied in Beijing. I studied in Shanghai. And I went up uh, to visit him for, I guess it was a weekend, and uh, we painted the town red out near uh, Tsinghua. So that was uh, that was a good time. But we do go back. We do go back. And, uh, we do Usman, go back. Yeah, Usman has, uh, has always been uh, the academic. I've always said, Usman, I said to uh, our, our classmates and those people that we worked with, I said, Usman's going to be that guy that we're all going to be able to point to and say, I studied with him. You know, when, yeah. he's either, when he's either the prime minister or the president of the World Bank. It's like, I know that guy. Yeah, you know, I go yeah. back, I swear. Uh, always rely on you to give me a pep talk, Matt. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's all manipulation, uh, right? <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> so it's uh, no, it's 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 always been a good uh, it's been a good friendship, and uh, I've looked on with envy as uh, Usman has conquered uh, the world. It's been oh. quite a journey for uh, for him. It's been great to watch and. You know, I'm interested in terms of some of these macro perspectives. I'm not, uh, I'm not the uh, the financial mind that you are, Usman. But you know, I look at it, you know, in very basic terms, and I say, okay, we're sitting here at a crypto market. It's retraced quite a bit. We were at a high of 850 some odd billion. We're back to about 250 now. There's been obviously a lot of volatility. That's the nature of the game. But when you look at some traditional assets out there in the world, when you look at stocks like Apple, like Google, and on their own, I mean, just on their own, they are 
greater than the sum of all of crypto. When you look uh -oh. at the commodities markets, when you look at gold at seven or eight trillion dollars in terms of global evaluation, do you ask yourself, could we ever get to that point or beyond? The circulating supply of money sits at something like what, 70 trillion or so, the stock uh -oh. market a little bit higher, the global stock markets. What point are we at in this crypto game currently and where do you see it going eventually? This is the $70 trillion question. <laughs> <And> <laughs> you're absolutely right. In terms of the forms of capital that we deploy in society, crypto is tiny, crypto is new, crypto evokes both excitement and fear. The more traditional forms of uh, assets and monetary instruments have been around for a while and they're backed up by both politics and violence, institutions and violence. And so they have something stability and a history that leaves people with less questions, which is why they sit around until they, these things decimate society like they did in 2008 or the 30s or the 80s or the 40s. And uh, crypto hasn't had that track record. So there is no consensus on how these things act. So only the bold go there. The problem was that uh, in 2017, there was a lot of euphoria around this, and there was that FOMO that has afflicted our generation, uh, the millennials and the one below us, Gen Z, that they felt they were missing out on what's going on. And so they all piled in uh, without having uh, any understanding of it. That allowed for people who had gone in earlier to make moves, to make big profits. And so what that did was that it dented some of the enthusiasm in after Christmas Day 2017 and then in 2018. But the fact is that people have stopped asking the big questions about blockchain and Bitcoin and these crypto instruments. And the big questions relate to what is the role of this in a society? What is the function of this in the transformation of our monetary instruments? How much should we, I'm just coming up with these, but these are the things that I think about. Uh, how much should we trust the traditional instruments? Who controls those instruments? And what has? what is the consequence of having traditional instruments in society? For example, there's rampant inequality, um, so much accumulation in such small hands, such a concentration effect. There is a clear first and third world and the gap is widening. These things relate to how the system is now. So the question is, where do other new forms of instruments, monetary instruments, fall into that. People have stopped asking that because this became a sort of hype, it became a trend. That's fine, but we need to step, take a step back. And I work on these things. This is where my research comes in, the accountability. How do we make sure that crypto instruments become a stable and important vehicle for mustering capital in society, particularly as it might decrease inequality, particularly as it might increase access to finance, these sorts of things. It would be nice to see the, uh, the ultimate evolution of it. And like you said, I think that uh, the, the public confidence the collective confidence in some of this stuff is not quite there it's still uh, it's still viewed with uh, a lot of impetuous uh, psychology but that being said you mentioned the fomo you didn't fall victim to that i gotta say so you've been studying blockchain you know a whole lot about cryptocurrency in terms of the the technicals but you attack it from an academic perspective and if I'm correct uh, in my assertion you still haven't invested as an active investor you've almost uh, sidelined yourself intentionally. So you've chosen Ooh. not to invest in the space. Um, why would you do that given how knowledgeable you are on the subject? What's your philosophy there? 
Um, this is basically the one lesson I took from my PhD because my PhD was about being nonpartisan in the analysis of economics. So how do you have a bunch of economists sitting in, in parliament in Canada or in Congress and not get dirty with the politics? So the one lesson I took back is that the people who do do this dispassionately without getting their hands dirty in any form, without being tainted or without getting implicated in the action, they tend to provide the best analysis. Now, my analysis isn't the best analysis, far from it, but I can say with confidence that I wasn't influenced in any one direction for or against when studying this stuff. So, and you see that in the kind of response that my papers get, like regular people cited, especially at the bachelor's level, uh, or, you know, and sometimes the master's level, these people are citing these papers because they feel that this guy doesn't have a, a stake in it either way. And so I, my, my conscience, quote-unquote, is clear. If this takes off, that's great. If it doesn't take off, God forbid, that's fine, because at least the, the research I did stands on its own merit. So not getting involved means that I didn't make as much money as many people our age, but it's okay with me because my conscience is clear. That is uh, the right approach because I mean uh, I've I've seen it also like going back to those papers that I've seen uh, during my studies. Too many researchers these days they become partisan. They're no mm. longer impartial when writing whatever uh, type of analysis, uh, whether it's a quantitative or qualitative. They want to see what they want to see in that research. Uh, yeah. Because because of something because like you know I had a classmate who were, had an internship at the Council of Ministers and he found I mean like judging by his paper his results like were based on his perceptions and his desire to prove a point which 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 was completely biased so I mean it's a very it's a very good thing that you've stayed like a little bit away from it that that makes your research more solid and that gives like a clear perspective of things I believe so I I must agree with you on this one yeah. thank yeah. you and uh, I would add to your example there the Council of Ministers so what we don't do enough of in research in cryptocurrencies or in most other fields in finance is that we don't distinguish between what is analysis and what is advocacy yeah now what for example what the gentleman you cited did was advocacy and a lot of people who deal with cryptocurrencies do advocacy work mm, the reason we don't distinguish as much in this is because our institutions are also tainted by the same uh, blurred lines and that's because we have a lot of lobbyists in democratic societies we have too much lobbying we have people who are lobbyists they're advocates but they take the guise of dispassionate analysis when they definitely are as you said partisan this is correct yeah, yeah, and plus it's also about the methodology you use because I mean today methodology is uh, well probably not in its best condition. So many fraud research out there because people mm. like because people just twist uh, methodology like there's like p hacking, whatever it is, omitting uh, some kind of facts just to uh, like you know make their argument uh, better. Or more solid, that's horrible, and that that has very bad implications. It doesn't matter which which research we're talking about: cryptocurrency research, uh, social science, um, I don't know, uh, biology, whatever it is. So that's like, yes. uh, yeah, that's uh, a really common problem. James, 
Yeah, look, I'm sitting there taking it all in. There's uh, there's a lot of terminologies being thrown around that I'm I'm slowly understanding. <laughs> like I said, I don't have a degree in economics, but I like to think that I'm not uh, completely behind the eight ball. Um, the one thing that's that's definitely put positives in my book is the fact that you're unbiased. An unbiased person is an honest person. I think that without having that biased viewpoint to, to cl- uh, cloud your mind, you can see things a lot more sense. You can explain things a lot more ease, and then you can see the pros and cons. So you not investing, um, we'll bring it back to what Matt was saying about you not investing. If you're still kind of on the fence about it because you want to keep an unbiased point of view, I completely understand that. Um, obviously, okay. there's a, you, you don't want to take a risk on something that's that's completely, you know, like you said, it's only for the bold, uh, so to speak. So don't worry, I'll be the guinea pig. I'll be the uh, the cannon fodder. I'll make sure that if it all goes ass up, you know, <laughs> you, can, you can use me as an example and go, you know what, either that's the reason I didn't invest or bugger, why didn't I go back and invest? So uh, like Matty said, that's the guy that we can all look up to one day. Hopefully I can be that for you in, in regards to either I'm going to be a massive up or I'm going to be successful one or the other <laughs> so but uh but I'll bring it back to a bit bit of a more simple topic because uh well otherwise we'll go on for for hours uh you called a lot of countries home over the years including uh my my lovable country Australia and you uh you lived all over the place so can you can you speak of some of the variety you've seen in terms of say cultural acceptance towards fintech and blockchain technology in as a whole Yes, this is an excellent question because you do see remarkable differences between different uh, countries, different institutions, different societies vis-a-vis fintech, vis-a-vis just uh, innovation and finance. So, for example, I've seen very progressive, quote, progressive approaches towards fintech in countries such as Estonia, where I was in 2016. And they were, I mean, every Estonian, young Estonian is pretty much somehow related to this stuff. It's a tiny country, but everybody kind of is into fintech to some degree. And then um, Japan, uh, I was there in August 2016, and Japan has been very pro-cryptocurrency. Perhaps it's a bias associated with the fact that Satoshi Nakamoto might really be a Satoshi Nakamoto. (laughs) He might just be a regular (laughs) Japanese guy. But uh, these two uh, countries are strong examples. Then I've seen Mm. very positive reactions from countries such as Singapore, Hong Kong, if you consider it a country, and uh, these the places that have a gen- general and genuine disposition towards financial innovation historically, perhaps decades mm. of uh, inculcating this sort of culture, they are the ones that have leaped into cryptocurrency as if it were no big deal. Um, then on the hostile attitude, I'd say that some of the countries that have typically been conservative with their banking system for good reasons, for example, Bangladesh, they've been conservative with this stuff and so i believe that it's totally banned i believe that bitcoin is entirely banned in bangladesh and then there's a few other countries like i think kazakhstan where the monetary system didn't really evolve after um in the post-soviet era anyways Mm. and just have discarded it uh entirely now some there's countries that are somewhere on the so for example australia is an example of a country that's not all gung-ho on cryptocurrencies but the um financial task force involved with this and the institutions involved with this have generally been positive. Same with New Zealand. So they're kind of like, in the well, abstract, they're for it. Well, I wrote an article. My, my first article when I joined Altcoin Buzz was about Australia. And a lot of people don't realize, but Australia is a lot more progressive on, on, uh, on cryptocurrency as a whole. 
um, than a lot of other countries. Uh, for instance, yeah. they've actually written legislation around the cryptocurrency, not they've made cryptocurrency fit a current legislation. The other thing is Bitcoin is actually considered legal tender in this country. I can go out and pay my taxes with Bitcoin if I choose to. Um, because it is mm-hmm. physically a le- it is now a legal um, form of tender. Yes, I think we're painting the same picture where we find that Hong Kong, China, Japan, so forth in the Far East, they are very uh, gung ho, and then Australia and New Zealand are probably a step uh, away from that, but still very much in favor of that. As you mentioned, it's legal tender, and there's legislation around it. The institutions are for it, and then for you go progressively down, and at the other end of the spectrum, you find places like Kazakhstan, Bangladesh. So every every mm. other country falls somewhere on the spectrum. Yeah, I agree. So. Um to sort of uh, switch the topic a little bit from Australia, because again, <laughs> this is an all Australian <laughs> show. Uh, I'm going to mention my home country, Ukraine. Uh, it's just like, you know, it's because you mentioned Estonia, and I thought it could be quite relevant because Ukraine mm-hmm. is also, yeah, it has also become quite of a crypto hub. Mm-hmm. currency around here is uh, pretty popular, even though it hasn't been legalized yet, and there have been crackdowns by our security services. But have you been here, like, uh, or what? What do you like? You, do you know anything about Ukraine? Just this is simple. Uh, I haven't had the pleasure. You mm-hmm. see, this is uh, I'm sharing some intimate details here with uh, you uh, guys. The, um, my girlfriend is from Poland, and everybody mm-hmm. in Warsaw. I'm I'm in Warsaw right now. Everybody yeah. in Warsaw says that the women are twice as beautiful in Kiev as in Warsaw. So well, for the sake of <laughs> of course, I can guarantee you that. You're making a blush, mate. I the mirror every day, and I feel like that. Yes. So, for, just, for the sake of my home and my uh, relationship, I'm not. I've never been to Kiev. I'm really scared because I've heard that people <laughs> people are just gorgeous there, and I'm too scared to go. But you know what? I'm just joking. The fact is that I would love to go to Kiev, and I'm probably only a five-hour drive from you. I think from Warsaw, the the Ukrainian border is very close. The closest is Belarus, yeah, and the Ukraine is pretty far from uh-huh. that border. Yeah, so it's not a five-hour drive. Uh-huh. Uh, it's just like a one-hour flight, though. That's that's true. One uh-huh. hour. So yeah, it should pop and uh, see like all the cryptocurrency agencies around here. There's quite well, a lot. I mean, of them. I mean, he went out and painted the ta- uh, he painted the town red with muddy. Then he can now it's now it's your town, Leisha. Exactly. You guys can check out the Satoshi statue. Yes. Yes. Ah, I didn't even know of this. It's There's gonna be a giant step. Mario with holding uh, the Bitcoin. <laughs> now a quick word about our amazing sponsor cold storage coins you can now store your cryptocurrencies on actual cold coins made of fine copper silver or gold each coin features a unique wallet id and laser etched private key which is concealed beneath a tamper evident holographic film you simply scan the qr code on the back in order to transfer your funds to the coin there's no hardware associated with these wallets and they are hack and fireproof. this is a very fun safe and inexpensive way to store cryptocurrencies Please visit coldstoragecoins.com for more and use our code BUZZ10, all capital letters, for a 10% discount. Now back to the podcast. So uh, now that we've covered Ukraine, we can go to the USA, I guess. And my question to you would be, like, what do you make of the security and exchanges uh, 
uh, Commission's current decision to avoid categorizing Ethereum as security, because that's kind of big news, and lots of our lots of our readers also thought it was bad news. Maybe you can like elaborate a little bit whether it what it is in fact. Yes, well, you're absolutely right, Lesia, that this is an important piece of news. It was going to determine basically the legal status of cryptocurrencies in the United States. Mm. Then according to the SEC regulation, what my understanding is, is that the more established currencies, such as Bitcoin and Ether, are not going to be treated as securities, but new ICOs can and will be. And what they used as their lens is what they have been using for about 70, 80 years. It's called the Howey test. And the Howey test has four points. So in order for something to qualify as a security, and I'm mentioning this so that we can always look at other cryptocurrencies we know and see if it applies, is that first of all, you put money in it. So yes, you do put money in these things, fine. That's the first thing. But two is that it is one entity or that one common enterprise that deals with it. And that's tricky. With something like Bitcoin and Ethereum, they're quite dispersed as networks. So mm -hmm. it's not one entity per se, but you can argue that it is in a sense managed by one entity. It's that tricky. That's uh, argumentation and experts won't agree on that. Uh, and the uh, other two points are, is that is, is it intended for a profit? So for some cryptocurrencies, yes, but for others, it's not intended as a profit. And you can discuss which ones and are and, and not. And the fourth is, is this mobilized through just that entity's efforts or are you making money for it? So an example is uh, Apple, where Apple is making the profit for you. You are not making profit for Apple, but then you say, well, I am buying an iPhone. So, yeah, that kind of thing. So mm. it, it's always disputable. So with cryptocurrencies, depending on which one you pick, the questions are, is it intended for a profit? And mm. some are and some aren't. And then are you mobilized to work for them? Well, in certain networks, you are the ones who are making gas or making whatever coin generation. There's something where you are participatory and others where you aren't. So based on that, these four aspects of the Howey test, they decided that the ones, the two larger ones, too dispersed, too large, not necessarily for a profit, I think. And so they don't qualify. And this is important for uh, the treatment of for U.S. citizens particularly, uh, that they are not treated as securities. Because what happens with the SEC is that if U.S. citizens can invest in a cryptocurrency that is deemed a security, then it co should come under their regulation. Otherwise, the cryptocurrency should ban U.S. citizens, it should have measures to stop U.S. citizens from investing. And there are two, I know, that did that. I think it was 10x or one of the other ones as well. Omisego, I think, also. That your U.S. citizen cannot deal with this stuff. Uh, and the other one, uh, I know an example, is that a cryptocurrency basically put a cap. And the cap was such that if you make over a million dollars, or sorry, if you make over 200K, I think, and your net worth is more than a million dollars, only then can you invest. And that is a loophole from the SEC. So if you're, there's always a loophole for rich people, right? And so, the, um, there's other ways of going around this. So for SEC to treat the big ones as securities would have been catastrophic because there would be too much regulation. Then U.S. citizens would have to sell their holdings or they would have to go indirectly about it and then face 
the risk of sanction from the SEC. So I'm very glad that this has happened. And if you want to take a step back, you should look at it philosophically as a balance. The balance that these regulators uh, and authorities want to strike is the balance between accountability and innovation. So they, they don't want to hurt innovation by banning all this stuff or putting everything under lockdown. And that's not even the American spirit of enterprise. Right? It's not their value system. And on the other side, it's accountability. So someone has to answer for something somewhere. And because cryptocurrencies are designed in a way to avoid that naturally, it, this is from the philosophy of crypto anarchism. We want to empower people who take this stuff. So we are against centralized authority in principle. So accountability is a very tough particular challenge with cryptocurrencies. But they do have to have some oversight of this stuff somehow. They do want to try to put some form of recourse for those people who are disadvantaged in some form through investment, but they don't quite know how to do it. So they strike this kind of balance where the decentralized, large, first movers into this space, like Bitcoin, are not treated as securities, but any new ICOs are. And that's good because there's a lot of funky stuff that happens with new ICOs. And I'm a big uh, advocate of better o oversight of new ICOs. So that's my two cents on this. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great description. Well, what do you think, Matt? I think balance is the right way to frame it, right? Because we do want to have accountability on the one hand and some oversight uh, because the alternative is just chaos. And yeah, we've seen that. I, I think, Usman, your example of... Uh, of ICOs of uh, let's say some of the more unscrupulous projects. Those are, uh, for instance, uh, you know, great uh, case studies in how to go about something unethically to scoop up a lot of money and not even have the intention of delivering a working product of any sort. That's the kind of stuff we've got to guard against. Um, and you know, we've talked about this in previous podcasts. I think it's the BitConnects of the world yeah. and some of those awful ICOs that are giving this entire space a bad name. And for the layman that's on the sidelines, that's, yeah, I've heard about that cryptocurrency, but did you hear about that multi-billion dollar Ponzi scheme? What was it, BitConnect? Yeah, so that's the BitConnect, that's the same as Bitcoin, right? So, I mean, it's all one and the same. And then you lump Ethereum into that, maybe you consider Ripple to be the same thing. I mean, this is a space that, let's be honest, not everybody is familiar with to the extent that we are, let alone to the extent that Usman is. And it's very easy to, to tarnish sort of adjacent products even and projects, even if they have nothing to do with each other. So I think balance is the goal. And I, I kind of wrestle with that sometimes because I would like to see more regulation, more accountability. But I don't want that to, you know, for any one institution to have a stranglehold on the space because then you have the potential for corruption, the potential for too much control and manipulation. It's yeah. no longer decentralized at that point, which was, was sort of the, the foundational goal. So let's say outside of a securities label, uh, because based on the Howey test, which, which you've gone through now, we're not going to be applying that. It seems to be an anachronism anyway in this relic from the mm. past. But mm. what kind of financial regulation in crypto, if any, maybe aside from a security designation, what kind of what, what's the level of oversight maybe outside of that securities label that you feel would help cultivate the industry effectively, that would help grow it safely and responsibly? Oh, this is a this is the perfect question because it's actually quite hard to answer. It's all a matter of opinion, really. And in my opinion, I think that the first steps that the SEC is taking and the regulatory authorities in some other countries are taking is good. I mean, they have come out with these laws with quite a delay. We're in the middle of 2018 now. And these cryptocurrencies have been there for a while. So I cannot give you a specific level of comfort that I would have. That's because I 
look at this from the original philosophical lens of the people who advocated this stuff at the beginning, and that's crypto-anarchism. So it's a kind of anarchism. Anarchism advocates that there should be trust between people, that they should have integrity, and then we help each other out with mutual aid, and we shouldn't have authority breathing down our neck all the time. That's the spirit in which these things were propagated and still are created. Now, with that idea, there is no central authority and there is no regulation because it assumes that people take responsibility for themselves and that they help each other um, with, with goodness and intent. That's also the failure of anarchism itself. Anarchism is very rarely found, except I can only think of examples like Kurdistan, post-war, and the Spanish Civil War, right? I mean, otherwise, people are not really mobilized to behave in that way. So the same thing applies to cryptocurrencies where I cannot rely on the intent of anonymous people out there. And so there has to be some kind of authority, but that takes away from the original philosophy of these things. So what level of comfort? Your opinion is as valid as mine, but there has to be some form of institutionalization. And that's that any form of institutionalization takes away from the original intent of these cryptocurrencies, right? Mm. Yeah, I, I think at least for the time being, I like what I'm seeing, the fact that uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum dodged that categorization as a security. But at the same time, you know, there are some stern warnings out there for the new projects and the ICOs that are emerging all over the place. For the time being, I mean, unless unless we start coming up with a new system, uh, you know, that Howey test that you mentioned, I, I don't think it applies anymore. And I've talked about this in my videos. We've talked about it in the podcast to have this 1940s definition, basically pre-everything, pre pre-modern electronic era to, to be the barometer by which we judge sort of the, the nature of these new currencies, these new projects, it, it doesn't apply anymore. We need, to, we need to have that discussion in the financial space because it, it's just not something, it's not relevant, you know, to be quite frank. You're right. It's too simplistic. Do you know the original Howey test? I, if, if I'm not mistaken, the original Howey test was for a company that sold bananas. <laughs> We've come a long <laughs> way since bananas. I think that's true. Somebody can quote me on that later. But yeah, the Howey test was for a company where basically they had land and they gave it to somebody else to grow the bananas on it and then they would take a cut of the profit. So they weren't sure about how to securitize that, how to deal with the treatment of that. And so we, we're way past bananas now. You know what I mean? So yeah, you're right. Bananas are always a big deal huh, somehow. Everywhere. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like, but actually when you mentioned uh, that BitConnect story, I was, uh, I was like anticipating somebody uh, crying that was BitConnect or whatever from that video. I was just hoping. Yeah, you know uh, that I video? Mean... I, I, I know what you're saying, Leisha, and I just want to say to tell you guys that I'm so excited, I'm so happy, I'm really so thrilled to be right now sharing this amazing, glorious, super and exciting moment with my life with all of you guys. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. My, my, my favourite line in that would have to be, the world is not anymore the way it used to be. Mm-mm, no, no, no! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is the fucking best. I have ever since you brought up BitConnect, I've been thinking, how am I going to segue this? Now is my chance. Now is my chance. So I want to ask you one more question, Isman. It has to be more about blockchain, like specifically the blockchain technology. I know that our site, Alcoin, Buzz.io, it focuses more on cryptocurrency. 
But we also post many articles about blockchain, and I've posted quite a few of them about an app in Kenya, about uh, the Swiss government testing it uh, on a like uh, on a local level. They want to test whether it can be applicable to um, m- 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 local elections. Sorry, to local elections. And but, what do you think are the other applications of uh, blockchain technology? Do you feel that I don't know, like what kind of applications can you see happening in the financial sector? I'm going to sound like a Silicon Valley guy when I say this to you, but I think the best applications of the blockchain haven't been invented yet. You know, it's still too early to tell what are the most far-reaching applications of this. But the things that you guys post show exactly where things are headed and it's quite impressive. Now, I can't provide any more insight on that than you folks already have, but uh, if you haven't covered this, then I'm particularly moved by one example, which is Gridcoin, which basically works on the proof of research uh, algorithm. You know, So what they do is that what you are using in terms of energy to mine is actually computing power that's being used by research projects uh, that cannot afford supercomputers, but require them. So I think that that's the kind of cool stuff that we are getting out there. And as an academic, I think it's so cool that you can divert that sort of mining energy towards the processing power of big calculations out there. That's just one one of the many examples out there. But the best examples have yet to be devised, I believe. I don't know what you guys think about them. I think that there's always room for improvement. It doesn't matter what technology. Well, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's true. No, bloody oath. There's all, uh, you know, just like everything in life, there's uh, there's always room for improvement. I mean, look at us from day one to what we are now. We're we're getting better by yeah. the day. Better, better by the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, this, see, this this is why I needed to study more so I could at least come up with something more articulate like like you, mate. <laughs> So uh, you wrote many many articles, much wow on uh, on Dogecoin, such such meme. <laughs> so what's what's your thoughts on uh, on on such paper? Much concern, so scare. Um, so I was just very interested in how a monetary instrument can exist in our day and age based on the appreciation of a meme. Such a goddamn meme. I mean, for, <laughs> for, forgive my French, but it's a goddamn dog meme, right? And why not? But Don't why disrespect not? the Doge. He is your exactly. god. <laughs> Pre- precisely. So why should I have that negative opinion of this at all? So it was a more of a self, <laughs> self-inquiry. Why do I have a problem with that? And it's okay to have, I don't know, the New Zealand dollar. Come on. think. Of, so what, what we're really asking is what is the legitimization process? What makes that legitimate and that not? Now, we know that the market cap of Dogecoin is very large, Mm. but it's agreed on by a consensus. So that's the consensus that we're trying to make larger for cryptocurrencies in society, that more people accept it. And the more they accept it, the more legitimate it will be. Now, how far has that process come? Well, I would say it's come pretty far. Even despite the hang-ups with the price lately, I think that the legitimization of crypto is improving. And that's why cryptocurrencies in general is improving. So how much more do we need to work on this? If Yeah, quote, work on this. How much more time will it take and effort will it take for people 
to accept these as legitimate instruments, mm. I don't know the answer to that, but it must happen at some point or it will be discarded entirely. Like, it's, you can't have... It's the same way that the alternative music that we listen to became mainstream, you know, a, a couple of years later. It's that kind of thing. Alternative cannot remain alternative forever. Either it becomes a mainstream thing or it just fades out. And mm. that's the same thing. Dogecoin, I think. I, I don't know if, if I share that same viewpoint. I think Dogecoin will always remain alternative to a degree because uh, it's such a meme coin that no one would really take it seriously and that's what makes it interesting uh, i you know what kind of coin i would consider buying that spider-man uh, spider-man meme from the ninth uh, 1970s or something coin yes. that would be great. i mean i just love those memes it's just when i see when i see his face and how retarded he looks and that i'm like yeah this is funny already i would probably invest ten dollars in it happily and tell all my friends about it. Like, yeah <laughs> but i guess Maybe uh, lots of those uh, coin creators actually rely on such uh, such an effect that somebody would just invest at least a little bit just for fun. Yeah. Tell, oh. tell you what, I was so close to investing the other day. I was going through a coin market cap, strolling through all the uh, the, 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 the <laughs> shit coins as they're known, and uh, I came across the fuck token. And uh, <laughs> I was so yeah. tempted because the premise of it is that you can finally give a fuck to somebody <laughs> like, that has to be the best coin out there <laughs> alright well it's been fun having you Usman uh, it's, we've definitely learned a lot you're quite an articulate bloke and I'm sure that you'll be uh, hopefully catching out Alicia to paint the town red followed by maybe a trip over to Canada to uh, relive the past painting town red with with Maddie. but it's been it's been great having you on. It's been lots of fun. Uh, so, have you got anything else to add just before we uh, we say say goodbye? Oh, just uh, stating that it's my pleasure to mm-hmm. be with you guys talking about this stuff, and I hope that more and more people take an interest in this stuff dispassionately, talk about what might happen, what should happen, and do it in a fashion that's uh, like adults. Let's talk about this as adults, not get too many emotions in it. That's what I would advise to people out there. Mm. That's some uh, pretty solid advice. And for all those out there that want to get more information on the articles that was written by Usman, go to SSRN Articles. We'll leave a link down below. And uh, yeah, I guess this is where we uh, we say goodbye for now. So thanks for coming on the show, Usman. Thank you, guys. Thanks, buddy. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Well, guys, that was a uh, pretty pretty knowledgeable interview we had there. He's a man of uh, many knowledge. I'm just I'm just going to own it now. <laughs> I'm just going to own it. He's a man of many knowledge. What are, What are your thoughts, guys? I think that he is indeed a man of many knowledge, as you rightly pointed it out, <laughs> James. And uh, I think that it was it was great interviewing him. And for me personally, one of the reasons was because he stated that he is nonpartisan when it comes to like you know science and mm. to assessing the crypto market that means a lot and i think that we uh, need more people like that in science in general because as i said i mean it's it's quite it's quite, it's quite a problem research becomes uh, less rigorous it becomes more biased more partisan and that will lead us nowhere that will lead us to 
wrong conclusions, wrong decisions um, at at a national level, at the, at a world level. It doesn't really matter. I mean, mm. so it was really great to hear his opinions on that. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I think it was a fun talk with uh, very fresh perspectives, almost philosophical ones. So I thought that was great. And uh, the good news for Usman, by the way, we thank him for being here. It's much appreciated. But the good news for him is that he can now add the most important bullet point to his resume. So in addition to being an Australian PhD candidate and in addition to having worked for the World Bank, he can now add the fact that he's been on the Altcoin Buzz podcast, which, yes. let's yeah. be honest, yeah. is going to kind of trump everything else uh, at this point that we've yeah, seen Your so PhD far, so. is fucking irrelevant now, mate. You've you been on the Congratulations. Podcast. Congratulations on the next big step. You know you've made it at this point. <laughs> yeah, you're right, you're right. <laughs> he's uh, He's got the PhD and now he's got the ABP, the Altcoin Buzz podcast seal of, <laughs> seal of approval. Much wow, such such gains. <laughs> so, uh, no, it's great having him. Uh, we always have fun people on this podcast. I think it's it's great. We need to we need to keep it rolling, guys. We we definitely get a lot, but unfortunately, we uh, the bad news has to hit eventually. We're saying goodbye to you, Maddie. This is the last uh, last episode that you're doing with us going forward, unless you're coming back as a guest. So we're going to be missing you, mate. I'll be back. Uh, yeah, we're just doing some uh, some reshuffling and some different, uh, you know, we're taking on different responsibilities. It's a small group at Altcoin Buzz, but it's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed uh, having these discussions with you, James and Licia. And uh, look, we're always communicating every day behind the scenes. That's right. So I do expect to be back and to be participating uh, in the future, but it's been a lot of fun. And I think, uh, you know, this is getting better and better. So I, I see this as something that's going to grow. And I wish you guys uh, great success toward that end. Thank you. Thank you. I'll miss you, Matt. <laughs> Gotta be honest. Yeah, it's been uh, it's definitely fun having you here, but uh, don't listen to what he says, listeners. He was talking mad shit behind your back, so <laughs> he's... <laughs> but no, uh, we will miss you. But uh, all right, people, thanks for tuning into the podcast today. Just remember, you can find our podcast uploaded every Monday and Friday on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, as well as our website, altcoinbuzz.io. We'd love to hear what you think of our show, so please leave a comment. Leave a leave a good comment for Maddie as well, considering this is his last proper show with us. So make sure he feels the love and let him know that you you miss him and try and guilt him into coming back permanently. But <laughs> other than that, give us a review on iTunes. For more information about the news we've just discussed, just remember to head over to our website at altcoinbuzz.io where all of our team, Luke, Garrett, the lovely Leisha, put articles every day and uh, to keep you into the latest news and in the loop. So again, from all of us at the Altcoin Buzz podcast team and Maddie, who's leaving us, we want to say thank you for tuning in and we look forward to catching you on the next episode. And- Bye! <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, 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 wait. And not like that. Bye! <laughs> <laughs>
Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are high risk investments. So please do your due diligence and consult a financial advisor before acting on any information provided. Copyright Altcoin Buzz, PTE Limited, all rights reserved.